Welcome to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. I'm Drew Carpenter, your host on the podcast for all kinds of ministers and other followers of Jesus who serve in relative obscurity. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Ian Graham. Ian's been a pastor for over 13 years, and he recently planted Ecclesia in Princeton, New Jersey. He writes on the intersections of the Bible, life, and culture. Ian's married to Courtney, and they have four kids. Ian, thanks for coming on the Obscure Pastor Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. You bet. Well, you agreed to come on this podcast. Do you consider yourself to be an obscure pastor? And if so, why? I am. Oh, I'm absolutely an obscure pastor. Um, and and why? I think uh, part of it is is the gift of pastoring, uh, the vocation itself. Uh, has always been an obscure profession in many ways that we have this weird thing going on now with where you can sort of be famous for being good at your job, whether that's being a pastor, um, whether that's being a, a, you know, an interior designer, whatever you may do, you can, you can sort of expand beyond your reach. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of delight in the obscurity. And I think that's, that's almost what we're called to. Yeah. John, the baptizer says, Jesus has to increase and I have to decrease, right? And that's kind of yeah. where we find a, a lot of us find ourselves. <laughs> yeah, Jay, he also says I'm not the Messiah. Like that's a, one of the <laughs> yes. things. It's just so you know. I, I think there's a lot of words from John that just that really do frame our vocation. And uh, yeah, I, I think that for me, there's a there's a lot of comfort there. Uh, sort of accepting who uh, who who you've been placed into a time and space with is actually a, is a great gift. So I I typically ask folks to kind of, if they have stuff they want to talk about, to submit those ahead of time. So you mentioned kind of digital ministry and digital church. What are you experiencing um, currently? Um, This podcast might not air for a a few weeks, but um, right now, I think New Jersey is still in the kind of lockdown stage. I know we are in that stage in Pennsylvania, and at least in our church, we're not meeting together in, in our space. What are you, what are you guys doing? How are you connecting with folks? Um, yeah. So I, I think similar to a lot of other people, we have a, what's essentially a broadcast, um, which is weird in, a, in its own right. So we, we record things a uh, week leading up and then kind of put those out. And I think for the, for most of us, we've kind of kept the form of church, the liturgy, uh, somewhat intact. And there are things that you can kind of convey over, uh, over a digital space about that. And then we have some people at our church that, especially as this pandemic dragged on, uh, we're really quarantining together. And so there's a sense of like gathered people of God in some of those spaces, which has been really good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been such a, uh, paradigm, maybe challenging, uh, maybe some sense shaping, but also I think for me, kind of a reaffirming of some things that I always held dear uh, during this whole deal. And so there's a lot of, uh, I try to be too whiny and complainy about the, uh, about the realities of digital church, but it's uh, in some ways it's a gift that we can still uh, convey and be, be together, uh, whether, you know, 
it, it's sort of this disembodied way, but in other ways, it's, it's a huge challenge. So we mentioned in your bio, you're a, you're a church planter. When did you start Ecclesia in New Jersey? Yeah, so we, we started Ecclesia in April of 2019. And we effectively shut down our in-person gatherings uh, that second week of March of uh, 2020. And, uh, you know, as a church planner, you're, there's always this kind of feeling of existential crisis at some level. And uh, so we, we had begun to experience some of, some of what we thought we were to be as a church, some of what we thought God had called us to be, some of just what we thought the makeup of the people that had come around. We were starting to see some of that unfold, some of the things that we had put in place um, right at the beginning of 2020. And then, you know, it's like we're in a college town, a fairly famous university, and um, you know, just overnight, we had a significant amount of the people that you know, call our church home, attend our church, were just gone. They dispersed to their places where they're from. And it was, uh, it, yeah, it was real challenging, especially in the beginning. Now, are, do you have, are you with the denomination of some kind or are you yeah. on your own? Or talk, talk to me a little bit about that from a, yeah. you know, starting a church from scratch. We, um, so we're with a denomination that I, I had not heard of until we began talking to them about potentially planning a church. Uh, they're called the Evangelical Covenant Church. Uh, it's a historically a Swedish kind of pietist denomination uh, with roots kind of in the upper Midwest of the United States. You know, a lot of immigrants came from Sweden, and I guess they identified the place that looks most to them like Sweden, and they determined like Minnesota and Chicago. And so they have a lot of churches there and uh, the ECC, as they're sort of called within the ranks, uh, have a very vital commitment to church planting and uh, especially church planting in uh, sort of diverse ecosystems, um, not just kind of suburban, uh, you know, growing, booming neighborhoods. Uh, but one of the, the great gifts of the denomination is it's put me in touch and in relationship with colleagues that are in such a wide variety of places. Uh, you know, one of my mentors and friends is in the South Bronx, which is uh, the poorest neighborhood in the United States where he does his ministry. And so for me, it's been such a profound gift to not only, you know, have relationships with these people, but, but to sort of be co-laborers and be aligned with them. Uh, and so it's, it's been a real, it's been a real gift to be a part of this body. It's sort of for me to kind of grow into what it means. I was from a non-denominational background uh, and growing into what it means to, to share the work as part of a denomination. So there is some support at a denominational level, not just that there's networking, but they also help you get your start for a, for a good bit of time, I guess. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 For us, we have, uh, there's three years of denominational support um, financially. And then, you know, from there, uh, the, the financial support goes away and then you're part of sort of supporting the, the, the plants that will arise coming behind you. And so, um, yeah, it's a great, great system. And we've really, uh, it's been a gift to us just to kind of be a part of this larger faith family. That's really, I think having some, some vital conversations about what it means to be the church in, in the U S. Right. 
Well, really cool. You had, you had mentioned to me, I think this is maybe before we started recording, that you went to Asbury. Did you grow up in a Methodist tradition? Or uh, you, you said you come from a non-denominational, or kind of a non-denominational background. Is that in your church work or is that like your whole life? No, I, I know everybody like says this about themselves, like I the sense of being an, an eclectic and uh, I from a theological perspective, I, I definitely am. I I became a Christian in the Bible Belt, like in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which, you know, literally you throw rocks any directions, you hit four churches. Um, and for me, that experience was uh, was was really interesting, you know, beginning to see a faith that was, that was really lived out and was really uh, vital and real. Um, and so I then went to a school called Oral Roberts University for my undergrad, which some people will know that name. Other people will be <laughs> like, that's a very strange sounding name. <laughs> but Oral Roberts uh, University is a charismatic university. And my first, I think it was my first chapel service there. You know, it's like 4,000 people were crammed in this big uh, auditorium and a guy gets up on stage and starts talking in a language that, I, I, you know, I wasn't familiar with. And what I'd come to realize was nobody was familiar with it. it he was speaking in tongues. And uh, that that sort of began a journey for me of like, OK, what is going on here? Uh, what, what have I put myself in the middle of? Because I had no sense. I, I knew I wanted to go to a, a, you know, kind of a school where I could keep uh, exploring my faith. And that was big. That was big for me. And I ended up at ORU and uh, got, got plugged into a program where the, you know, the undergrad sort of Bible program there. And it actually was this incredible gift, but uh, through that journey, through, you know, charismatic university and, you know, they had some scandals even around the administration uh, during the time I was there. So you start to see all these tensions, you know, uh, I'm learning these amazing things of, about the Bible and and really being given an education that, especially in hindsight, was really uh, high quality and, uh, you know, eclectic in its own right. But then you're sort of experiencing some of the dissonance with the, with the kind of larger framework of the university. Uh, so that was really interesting. Uh, but ORU, the people that I met there were so incredible uh, as far as the, the my fellow students and just really kingdom-minded is really no better way to say it. Hmm. And then um, kind of a long journey for me as a, a, you know, sort of discerning like being a pastor was my was my vocation, was was what I was called to do. And in doing so, uh, you know, I just continued reading, continued uh, filling my uh, my soul and my head with with what I could find. And, you know, a couple of the Bible scholars I'd come back to f- frequently were uh, Ben Witherington and Craig Keener. And it turned out that they happened to teach at the same little school in this, like, Wilmore is the definition of a, like, one stoplight town. Um, where Asbury is. And the first time I went there, I, I drove through, it was like, I, I guess that was it. That that was the whole town uh, outside of Lexington there. And so I had a great experience, was able to keep working full-time in ministry while going to Asbury uh, to study the Bible. And so that was a real gift, but no, I like John Wesley. Uh, you know, so I was, I was really into some of his thinking and liked that he was uh, kind of adjacent to the Anglican tradition and that's really, those were the things that led me to Asbury. And uh, that was a gift. Well, cool. So 
I went to college in Oklahoma too. I went to Oklahoma Baptist University. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I don't think we played each other, maybe in baseball or something like that. Yeah. I'm yeah. Quite a bit older than you are. So uh, we wouldn't have been at the same time and place, but I'm familiar <laughs> with Oral Roberts. And if you're from the South and in church evangelical type of circles, you've heard of Oral Roberts for sure. Um, yeah. Well, did you, are you an Oklahoma native? I am. So I, I moved all over growing up, uh, you know, really all over the South. Uh, and the the final place we finally settled when I was in middle school and we stayed in Oklahoma through through the rest of my uh, schooling there. And so I, I consider myself an Oklahoma native. Uh, that's that's where home is. But uh, yeah, it was it was a long journey to get there. <laughs> well, you know, you've been in church work for about 13, 14 years, and church planting is different than being on staff. Um, but you, it, at the same time, you have to continue to fill yourself up, right? You have to continue to find inspiration to keep to keep motivated, but also just to to be to be fresh, to be able to have something to give to the people within your parish, within your, your church. So what do you do to stay inspired? Yeah. One of the beauties of, uh, I think church planting in general, and I think church planting uh, where we are uh, is there, there's kind of an innate hunger uh, to know um, and to be able to ask questions. Um, And so that for me, uh, it really dictates that I, I just kind of keep refining and keep sharpening. So I, I love to read. Um, it's just a, you know, one of the things that has always been a, a part of who I am. And so that, that, that when it became clear, especially reading Eugene Peterson uh, and him talking about how he would fill his schedule uh, with, with reading time, like he would, he would essentially write Fyodor Dostoevsky into his schedule. And that would be a part of his week. And I think once I was, sort of saw that as a model and as a vision uh, and, and almost permission to, uh, to carve out time to do that. that. That became part of our planting life as well, just where, um, you know, for me, I'm going to keep pursuing, uh, keep growing, keep, uh, because the, the other side of it is whether you're planting or you're preaching or you're sort of pouring out in, in some way, uh, there's this rhythm to it where it's like once a week, you know, for many of us or, you know, maybe, maybe multiple times a week, you know, there, there has to be some life that's coming out of us. And that obviously doesn't just come from reading books, but, but are we prioritizing a life with God and are we allowing him uh, to, to shape us and mold us? And so for me, that's, that's always come fairly naturally uh, that piece of it where it's like, okay, I just, I have to soak some stuff in. So I have something to, to offer. And, you know, whether that's, uh, being a person who's following after Jesus and worshiping him with my, my whole heart, mind and strength. And, and whether that's, you know, kind of being up to date on uh, different things or just having read these different thoughts, that's, that's been a, uh, something that I've really prioritized in my life and ministry. That's great. Um, I fa- I, yeah. I find myself gra- having gravitated towards Gene Peterson over the, over the years as well. Um, He's not a he's not a church growth guy or wasn't a church growth guy, but he definitely he knew how to be a pastor and he knew how to and he wanted to be an encouragement, I think, to other pastors to care for their souls. 
right? It's not yeah. just about building a church. It's about caring for your soul so you can care for others, right? Right. And he, like, just, you know, I'm reading his uh, biography right now. Uh, that's, I think it's due for release in a couple months. And, uh, you know, just just embodied that. Like, you know, I had this incredible house out in Montana and, like, we just had this uh, turn style of, of pastors and leaders coming to stay with the, uh, him and his wife out there and, and really not just writing books about what it means to be a pastor, but I, I, yeah, just a thoroughly, I think what he would call a congruent life. And, uh, hmm. yeah, Eugene Peterson has been such a, uh, just a vision for me of what it means to be a pastor, um, hmm. and what it means to be somebody who, who, who walks with people over the long haul in a place. And that's been a, yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he, he was definitely a gift for all, for many yeah. of us. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, so, I, you know, th- there's a couple other things I kind of wanted to see about the, you know, you talked about the, your, um, you, you, you do a broadcast for your, for your church. Um, you, do you guys connect through Zoom right now? I mean, what is the, what do those types of things look like? For yeah, kind of more community connection, um, small, small groups type of thing. Yeah, we um, have been able to. It's been that you know, uh, sort of rewinding back to the beginning of the pandemic. When you're a year old church plant, I mean, the real fear is that you know people don't have any history with your community at some level. Um, and so the, the fear becomes, okay, like all of this stuff is shut down. All of our normal rhythms of gathering are, are now uh, removed from us. What if people, what if it's just not that big of a deal to people? Uh, what if the community that they've, they've had time to forge is, hasn't just had a lot of time to take deep root and it's just, you know, take it or leave it. Um, and that, so that has been an incredible gift to watch our very young church, really function as a creative minority and really be a people who are pursuing one another. Yeah. Even through great difficulty, even through distance. Um, again, Princeton is, is an intersectional place where you have uh, people and families that are, that are going to be making their life here and living here. But then you have the university and seminary. Um, some of those uh, people who are much more adjacent to the community. They're here for a time. And uh, what we've tried to foster is a place where they can put down roots for, for the amount of time that they're here. Um, but seeing our community continue to just push through on the Zoom, and I think, I think everybody's tired of Zoom at this point. I think that's safe to say. Yep. Uh, but seeing them continue to show up on that level. Um, but, I, but I think for me, too, and uh, you know, just reflecting on the, the digital church thing was – you know, I, I consider, you know, this, this is probably Eugene Peterson um, influenced as well, but just the, the art of pastoring, so much of it is embodied and it presses against Gnosticism. It presses against this, you know, almost this like content idea in our culture where, you know, it's like, it's kind of a Cartesian dualism where if you can just tell somebody information, uh, you know, or in the, in this church and sermon world, if you can just get them the content, then they can have it for themselves. Uh, what we find is it doesn't really work like that. Um, you know, the word becomes flesh in John one and something about even preaching every week, um, 
you know, when you preach to a congregation, the word is becoming flesh in that group of people. It is the spirits doing its slow work. And I, I've found this great disconnect between when I'm staring at a camera in the room that I'm currently in right now and trying to, trying to convey that. And so it feels like so much of that part of my vocation has been, has been on hold to some degree. And you sort of mark in the time you keep doing it. You keep preaching sermons or giving talks or, you know, however you want to quantify it. But uh, for me, that's been this, this kind of uh, disconnect or this chasm that I'm sort of looking at. And I, I can't wait until there's some sense of like, we can gather, um, with some similarity to what was before, because I, I do think that is, I think the vitality of that has been shown a hundredfold through this whole process. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I, you know, I, from my, when you talk about content and I think about that and there's so much content, right? And so if all we yeah. do is produce something, then we're just kind of making noise, right? But if, yeah, like you yeah. said, there's this embodied spirit that we have to help people connect, you know, and not just know stuff about Jesus, but really know Jesus. And um, yeah, yeah, because it's easy to get the information, <laughs> right? It's easy. Yeah, to, and- it's easy to put the information out too. Well, and you remember too, like when all of this, when the pandemic started, I, I think, and I, I, you know, rightfully so, I think there was this energy around like, wow, like anybody anywhere could find themselves in the middle of a church service because guess what? Like everybody's stuck at home. You know, all these churches are putting out their, their services. And like, I mean, we all like those of us who are in the church world, like you're talking about like world-class communicators. That, that some people are, are just have access to every week, you know? And, and so you're like, there's this, this hope and this expectation, like, wow, like what if my neighbor across the street who would never come to my church was just to be like, okay, like I know Ian or I know Drew and like what, I'll just check out what they do on Sunday mornings. And they're like, well, you know, this isn't so crazy after all. And I think there was a very real hope around that. I think the unfortunate thing we found is that a a group of people that are, you know, to use the phrase we've been using, embodying the word, make the gospel believable. And without being able to sort of look around a room and be like, oh, yeah, these people like this isn't so crazy or these people are 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 in agreement or they're living this out to some extent. I think without that, the 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 disconnect between the, the quote unquote, the content of the gospel and, you know, the actuality of it, uh, you know, really doesn't invite people in. And so, yeah, it's been a really interesting, you know, just to kind of watch um, how we've handled that and to see, you know, what, how we have to shift going forward. Right. Yeah. We just have to continue to not just adapt, but innovate the, be always pivoting, thinking, okay, what, what do we need to do and do that with, yeah, with the Holy Spirit guiding us with. Mm-hmm. Hey listeners, I'm interrupting this program to ask for your help. If you like the Obscure Pastor podcast, subscribe, and if possible, rate or write a review on your favorite platform so others can find us. When you do those things, you'll help me get the word out about all these interesting pastors. 
Now back to the conversation. Ryan Cagno, a, a mutual friend of ours, connected you to me. Um, that's why I ended up inviting you on today. Um, he said he'll never listen to this because, you know, he, he just wanted you to know that. So you could say anything about him <laughs> on this podcast. Um, and he'll never listen. So do you have anything you want to say about Ryan? <laughs> no. Um, uh, well, in, in that sense, Ryan, uh, Ryan is a profound gift. Uh, he has a terrible sense of humor and a love for puns uh, and also a love for musicals and that kind of thing but uh ryan is is you know again you talk about like you know we're joking about obscurity earlier and we're but uh, ryan has that sense of like uh, you know i must decrease he must increase and uh you know even being able to watch him uh, in seminary he was sort of a non-traditional seminarian that he'd had some life experience had been working uh prior to that um but has always just had this sense of like a servant's heart and uh, also it's just incredibly insightful and gifted uh, man. And so I have the most respect for Ryan. Uh, just he's, uh, he's been such a, a gift to me and it's been cool to just watch him uh, grow in his vocation uh, that, you know, the seeds and the, uh, the early signs of what he would be and what he would do were, were so evident to me. That's really cool. Well, and I'm sure he will listen to this. He told me to tell you that he wasn't <laughs> going to listen to this, but I felt like there was a tongue in cheek and it doesn't always convey over email. So <laughs> that, would, that would fit with what I go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, that would fit with Ryan uh, completely. Right. So that's, and if somebody wants to listen to that podcast, it was back. Uh, I don't know. It's one of the prior podcasts, some yeah, like 15 or 20 back. So, so tell me, I want to kind of shift the gears a little bit. I don't know if you like music or not, but do you have a favorite musical artist? Oh man. Uh, I ha I have a lot. I mean, again, it's, it, you talk about the content piece, you know, we have the, uh, the crisis every time we open a music app, like we can listen to any song that's ever been recorded, uh, which turns out is not always so freeing. Um, for me, some of my favorites, uh, you know, right now going back to you, I listen to uh, Sufjan Stevens, which again, <laughs> I'm a white Christian in my 30s. So these this lists are going to be fairly comparable. But I, I think the stuff he does or uh, the stuff he does is pretty incredible. And the new album uh, being such a, uh, a a stark contrast to the album Carrie and Lowell. So he has this new album, The Ascension, uh, which is kind of an electronic, distorted. It's really good. Uh, I love Young Oceans. Um, I think they, the Eric, uh, the, the lead singer, and then the collective he has around him, uh, just the stuff they're saying, but also uh, just the, the textures and the layers. Um, I love Bon Iver. Um, I love him hip-hop i sort of grew up uh just on <laughs> a lot of that so that was a, a shift in my life kind of as i became a christian was i sort of i opened up to a lot of other styles of music that i wasn't listening to previously um but yeah those are some that that i come back to often yeah just music i think is something especially in this kind of content driven world that uh is such a is such a respite uh for me uh, because there is so much information and it all has this urgency to it. And it's all really interesting. You know, the podcasts, you know, are, 
are are also really fill up our time. And I think music is a way of of approaching and embracing silence right now, uh, which may seem counterintuitive, but it does slow us down and gets us uh, working at its paces, which I think is I think is really needed right now. That's good. Do you? What's something about you that not very many people know? Something about me that not many people know. Um, more people are beginning to know this. I, I'm a the Enneagram has been helpful to me. We we got to introduce the Enneagram in uh, 2018, I believe. My wife and I, and it was uh, and I'm a four on the Enneagram, which has its own uh, <laughs> things with it. Uh, and, and so one of the things that people don't know about me is I, I'm an incredibly emotional person. Um, you know, I've, I've, I, I remember um, just times in life, you know, being at movies or something where I, I was just overcome. And it was like, you could talk about like the, 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 the silliest, most trivial movies. And I'm like, there's tears in my eyes. I'm like, why, why is this affecting me this way? Um, a story that you know you could use or not, but we, uh, my wife and I, we met in high school, and um, we went to see the movie The Notebook, which you know I, I think we've passed the statute of limitations on spoiler alerts, but you know basically the ending is very sad, and you know I'm with this this woman who I you know I want to impress, you know there's obviously still trappings of like cultural manhood there, and I'm like okay I don't want to be crying in movies. And the end happens and I am just overcome. Like it is deeply disturbing to me and deeply moving to me. And I was like, wow, this is so sad. And I'm, I don't even know what to do with this. And one of her friends was crying so hard that the whole theater like then centers in on this young woman and, you know, everybody starts laughing. And so I'm able to laugh so hard that, you know, I could play it off. Like I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying, but really I'm just a weeping mess at the, the fact that Ryan Gosling and uh, Rachel McAdams are have spent this beautiful life together. And so, uh, yeah, begin to, to sort of unpack that over the last couple of years. So I'd say that's something that, that uh, has been a gift to own and to understand, uh, not as like this deep, like, okay, I need to hide this all the time. And it's helped me uh, in, in parenting and helped me uh, as a husband. That's awesome. And there's no way I'm going to cut that. That's, yeah. <laughs> we, we all need a good cry sometime. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. The notebook, I'm not sure it would have got me, but I haven't seen it. I kind of leave the room if it came on or whatever, but anyways. Oh man. But just, I, just I cry. A good love story. I, I, I definitely, I, I'm a soft touch in many ways. How do people find you if you want to be found? Yeah. Really, really trying to hold on to my obscurity here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Twitter. I really love Twitter. Uh, just I, I don't do a ton of interacting on there, but I think from an input standpoint, I think especially for pastors, like just you can expose yourself to so many different voices uh, so easily, and so it, it's almost a measure of empathy. Just saying, like I'm going to listen, and you don't have to get caught up in the the, the frantic nature of the conversation. But uh, Twitter's great. Uh, I'm on there, and then I write. Uh, you know. <laughs> More infrequently than I would like at my uh, writing site, it's called the Serena Bright, which is taken from a, an Emily Dickinson poem. Uh, but she says, "In a in a Serena Bright, in a more golden light, I see each little doubt and fear, each little discord here removed." 
And uh, that for me is like just trying to, uh, I think so much of our, our vocation as, you know, not just pastors, but as, as people, as, as the city set on a hill, as, as ambassadors, as these broken jars of clay that carry around this, this, tre- this treasure that is, you know, the, has the weight of glory is to refract the light and um, to help people to, to see the peace of Christ, to help people see that, that Jesus is about beauty, uh, that he's about wholeness and justice and shalom. And uh, so that that little couplet has always spoken to me uh, deeply about that. Appreciate you sharing that. Is there anything else as we kind of close out our time, anything else you want to leave us with as a, I don't want to call it a parting shot, but a, <laughs> a final word of any kind we can, we can end actually with what you just said, but I like to give people the space to do that if they want. Oh, no, I, I just think um, if, for me, and this is maybe, this may be solely from my own experience. So if this is helpful to you, great. But I, you know, if you're experiencing um, a sense of disconnect, a sense of fatigue um, with, with the idea, first of all, of like digital church, but just the church in general uh, right now, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to keep going. I think this is a time for for steadfastness uh, and really the seeds of resilience that are being planted right now are, are the things that will bloom and harvest on the, on the other side of this, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the main um, difficulty being the pandemic effects and it's even the, the dissonance that it creates and the, the different narratives around truth Um but I, I think it's such a time for us, uh, especially American Christians, uh, for resilience. And if we think back to six, I can't think of many that had to exercise this kind of resilience. Um, and so for, I, I think that's true for many of us. I know others of us have stories and that there's uh, personal experiences of pain or even uh, social locations that have caused them to, to experience that in different ways. But for me, and I think this is true for a lot of us, like uh, this is a time for, for resilience. And I think there's, there's a beautiful harvest that awaits on the other, other side of this. What that is, I don't know. Uh, but I know that God is, is strengthening and deepening us, even when it, it often feels like it's sort of a collective dark night of the soul. Uh, and so that that's been my word to myself and uh, to our church is just to keep showing up, keep bearing one another's burdens and keep hoping. You have been listening to the Obscure Pastor podcast. If you like the podcast, rate it and share it with a friend. Check the show notes for my links, including a place to leave a tip. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Carpenter. So let's be friends.